Welcome back to the Sustainable Jungle podcast. We share uplifting stories from people all over the world working to make positive change. I'm Joy, and in this episode, we speak with Rafael Robles, Costa Rican conservationist and esteemed leader in the village of Tortuguero. We visited Tortuguero to do this interview and were blown away by this little village. Sustainability and a respect for nature are central to the way the town operates. It's an inspiration to see, and Rafa has had a significant role to play in making it just such. In this episode, he shares why his town is so special, how it got that way, and how he is still fighting for this little piece of paradise. As always, feel free to follow along or jump ahead using the show notes on our website at sustainablejungle.com forward slash podcast. Enjoy this time with Rafa Robles. Maybe you can explain exactly where we are in the world right now. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. Well, first of all, to give you the welcome, we like uh, uh, good educated travelers. Uh, where are we? We are in Tortuguero, uh, located on the Caribbean side of Costa Rica. Uh, we are in a very special place because it's like an island surrounded by the Caribbean Sea and what we call the Tortuguero Lagoon. You can only get in and out only by boat. Even though we have an airstrip, there are some regular flights coming in and out, but everything, supplies and uh, travelers, we use the waterways. It is a place very fragile in terms of its ecosystem. It's like a wetland. We are running to the Tortuga Nature Park, which is the, my neighbor. And that's where people come here to see wildlife and, and the rainforest. Tortuga Nature Park is one of the most protected national parks of Costa Rica. Uh, there are really good reasons for that. The soils are not good for farming. We all depend on the, what we call ecotourism. Uh, educated travelers come here to enjoy uh, the wildlife and uh, learn more and preserve it. Maybe you can give us a bit of context of your background, who you are, where you grew up, how you got here. Surprising. I was born in the city of San Jose, our capital. And then as soon as, as, soon as I could, I moved to the countryside. My parents were always uh, taking us for camping, so I fell in love with the outdoor activities. I studied biology. And then the, for different reasons in life, I moved to Mexico for, for eight years. That's where I met my, my, my wife. I was away for eight years. I couldn't come back to Costa Rica because in those days, there was a very bloody war taking place in Nicaragua between the Contras and the Sandinistas. And I was a student and didn't have the budget to be able to buy an airline ticket. So I couldn't afford to take a flight to come back. So for eight years, I couldn't come back to my own country. I didn't see my parents, but very interesting. When I came back to Costa Rica, I, I found, I got the job to do this job in Tortuguero, but I got in Mexico. And then that we came to Tortuguero in 1987. When I came back to Costa Rica, I fall in love again with my country. I found that it was very safe to travel. 25% uh, of the country is preserved and serious conservation, not like other countries that you know, the natural park is like a paper natural mm. park. And I was very impressed, and uh, in a way, I rediscovered my country. I'm very curious just to touch back on the point of, um, of how you initially became interested in biology and becoming, you know, sort of dedicating your life to conservation, essentially. It had to do with plants. Uh, my father, uh, he used to have a coffee plantation. So when I was a kid in high school and I have vacations, I moved. Well, we live in the city, but we have this uh, country house and he was growing coffee. And uh, so I spent my vacations on this country house, uh, working with the, with the workers, fixing, fixing up fences and, uh, and uh, eating with them and having a dog right next to you and the machete and rubber boots and hats. And I said, wow, this is, what I want, this is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And I'll be out in the countryside, growing things, working on fences. So I started to do more research. I said, agriculture, when I started agriculture, and I did. I invested one or two years 
I call it studying tropical agriculture. But then I met somebody, a biologist. And when I learned what biology does, oh no, that's what I want to do. <laughs> so I just dropped everything behind and I started again and started biology. And something that makes me very happy. I focus in plants. My major in biology is taxonomy. And that's what I came here. I was hired by the Costa Rican government and the Missouri Botanical Garden from San Luis, Missouri, United States. They were the sponsors of this research. And they hired me to have a full-time job in this rainforest with a tortuguero with no water, no drinkable water, no electricity, no public transportation, no hotels, no telephones, eh, no doctors, uh, one policeman. <laughs> There's always one policeman. To, to keep uh, drunk people in order. <laughs> There's always the bar and the one a policeman. Church, and there, was a bar. <laughs> there was a bar, and in fact, we were, we, we were very poor. Everybody in town, even us, our salary was poor. We saved our money for Saturday morning to go. Saturday morning, you could go dancing. Oh, that was wow. the big thing. You wait for Saturday morning, you make your earnings. Saturday morning, you can have your three or four beers, and you dance. We yeah. all dance in a place right next to the beach. And uh, senior people, young people, we all dance. That sounds and amazing. And that was the way that, uh, and you save, you save your little bit of money for, to <laughs> go dancing. How many people were in Tortuguero at the About time? About 600 people. 600. 600. And English was the language spoken here. Uh, when I came to Tortuguero, everybody was speaking what we call Jamaican English, mm. uh, very strong cultural roots. Mm. So when uh, my wife, uh, she's, she's from Quebec, I've been living in Costa Rica for 30 years. When the, we came and we moved to Tortuguero, she, she fell in love right away with the place. She liked uh, cultural, strong culture. Uh, our friends were senior people playing domino at night, uh, uh, speaking the Jamaican English, dancing on Saturday nights. Lot of stories, very sandy trails, very quiet place. So we fall in love with that Tortuguero. And it actually, so I understand the entire population of San Francisco and, and Tortuguero is 2,000? This is interesting. Tortuguero town is a little town caught by two different properties. The town cannot expand. The village Tortuguero, uh, here on the south boundary, we have the national park. And on the north boundary, we have uh, private properties. This is Turtle Conservancy. Then we have a Costa Rican hotel and a Costa Rica, another Costa Rican hotel. So the town is cut. We cannot expand. In fact, the village of San Francisco eh, came out as a way to open a new space for the, for the new generation of people. The way of development of Tortuguero is when the National Park was created, the people here went through a very confusing time of their life. We are very happy to have a National Park and we make our living for National Park now, but not when it was created. When it was created, they prohibit the hunting and the fishing. And the people here, they were making the living from hunting and fishing and yep. growing the vegetables and fruit that they're going to be eating, what we call subsistence farming. The only way to make a little bit of money in those days, because there were no visitors, was to grow the coconut palms to make coconut oil. It was the oil to cook with and they sell it. And the, the cocoa plantation or the cacao. And they were growing it where now the National Park. That's, that's the abandoned cacao or cocoa plantation for these first families. When the National Park was created, something that we are very happy now, they have to abandon that cocoa plantation and they start looking for a way how to live. So how do they survive? By selling pieces of the land. So what they did, the property were big. They set apart one piece of the land and sell it to somebody like me, they were coming in, and with a little bit of money, they could live one or even two years. They start running out of money, they're gonna sell another piece of the land and live one or two more years. 
In a certain moment, the property started to shrink, started to become real small. And then there were two big problems. One is that their sons and grandsons did not have a place where to live. Usually the tradition of this part of the country is that the parents are going to set apart a property for the kids to build a house. And so these families, they don't have no more extra land for, for, their, for the kids. And some of them moved to what now we call San Francisco. And the other problem that we have was a, a, a health problem those days. Now we have a solution. Those days we, we were all living with wells and candles. And uh, I also, my wife and me, we have a well where we used to live. And uh, it was fine. But when the property started to go to become real small, happened that it was a matter of time that somebody would, would dig his outhouse right next to your well. Uh. And some of the problems started. Mm. The solution was, thanks to a leader in town, set up a deal with the National Park, and they created a very good water system inside the National Park where nobody lived. It's the only place in Costa Rica that the National Park has allowed it, that this system is inside the National Park. The pipes go uh, uh, nine meters uh, into the ground. They pump really good quality water, which is treated correctly, and then go through a water pipeline to every single house, health problems solved. That was a very important improvement to live in Tortuguero. It is a model example of a small town that is sustainable. I wonder if you can explain a little bit more why, Rafa, yeah. it's, it's, it is sustainable And in that also, way. we understand that you're part of the association yes. that has helped make that the case. Yes, Costa Rica has created a very important model of development and has become a leader on the region. It's the, what we call the sustainable development, trying to help the communities that live right next to the national park to raise their standards of living. We really believe that poverty is what puts more threat on the conservation. If somebody here will be starving, if the kids are crying because they have nothing to eat, somebody will hide at night and go and hunt something. But if you can live from chewing, in this case, you can make your living from chewing that animal to the visitors, you start paying more attention to the animal. Year after year, you have more visitors coming to see the same animal, and you start seeing that, that conservation is important. It's sustainable development means they look for a balance between the human quality of life and conservation. Right. Uh, Costa Rica had really good examples of that, and Tortuguero is trying to prove that that can be done. We're trying to prove the world that we can live uh, in a mecca for the nature lovers without destroying it. We're looking for the way to have a balance between uh, making up a living from this, having a good standard of living. Now we have health centers, now we have uh, public transportation boats, we have uh, good uh, supplies and supermarkets, schools, and the rainforest have not been broken. And it seems to us that you are in many ways already achieving that, but I wonder why and, and how Tortuguero has managed to do that. When the first visitors started to come here, Tortuguero was not ready for them. People in Tortuguero have always been living very isolated, on their own. And when the first visitors started to come in, people couldn't, could not understand how Americans or Mexicans can come here, buy a, take a boat, go and see the wildlife, have some beers at night, at night have a little party, and then they, they leave. They didn't understand. They couldn't mm. understand how that can happen. They want to do the same thing. I want to have some beers. I want to go take a boat. But what they didn't understand those days is that these people have been working real hard to make this happen. 
they have been doing some earnings, they have been planning this trip, they have taken vacations, they have a nice time, in this case in Tortuguero, and then they go back to work. That part of going back to work, they didn't see it. Okay. <laughs> a key point. Yeah. A key point. They didn't see it. So they said, my God, I want to be like that. So it was a confusing time. Uh, people, as I, was, I witnessed that, that the young generation got in shock because they want to do the same thing, but they didn't understand that you have to make some money to do that. And the plastics. When I got mm -hmm. here, there was no plastic trash. Ah. Everything was organic. So you went to the very few grocery stores in those days, and they gave, you, they gave you everything on a paper bag, or you brought your own bag. There were no plastics, no beer cans, nothing like that. When the tourist industry came in, it is, they came with the plastics, they came with uh, tetar bricks, and they came with the plastic bags. And now we have a very, and that created chaos. There was, a, there was, there was one period of the history of Tortuguero that were very polluted, and you could see it on the streets and everything. We learned for that. And, uh, and thanks to a, a leader and more environmental conscious, now we have a, one of the best plants to recycle trash. It's, it's has been graded as one of the 17, one of the top 17 recycling plants of Latin America. Not only they collect everything, but also they separate it and take it out of take it out of Tortuguero. And with the money that they do by selling the glass, cans and glasses and everything, they can hire a staff of four people working in the plant. And, uh, and now, more clean, I've seen it, and also generate jobs. Another thing that um, about my background, I was hired to do the checklist of all these plants. It was a teamwork, but I was out in the field, and the rest of my partners were at the National Herbarium. My job, was much younger, was to be climbing up trees and collecting the botanical specimens, leaves, flowers, and fruits, and collect the data, and the preserve the botanical specimens. We saw a lot of wildlife, a lot of dangerous animals. In one certain year, one single year, one of my horses was killed by a pit viper. I was beaten by another one, and five more people were beaten by poisonous snake that particular year, the pit viper year. When something happens like that, you are going to always find help among the neighbors. Somebody will show up. That's, that's the beauty of the place. Everybody is, there's like a brotherhood when something serious, when you need serious help, somebody will give you a hand. One of the neighbors put a boat to the water, and uh, somebody gave us some fuel, the park ranger gave us a spotlight, and we took off. Where, where did you get that? I went on this finger. On the finger? On the it finger. was getting in. Yeah. How, how did it happen? Oh, I did something silly. Uh, we saw, <laughs> <laughs> the only way that a snake can bite you is that you make a mistake. Uh. We saw a lot of snakes in those days, in and out of the house sometimes, and uh, we have a procedure. But that night, that particular night, I was very tired. We, 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 have, we light our house with candles. My wife was already sleeping, so I came back from for making a turtle walk. So I turned off the candle, and in the middle of the dark darkness, I went to close the window. But in the middle of the darkness, when I was closing that, the snake was getting in. The nocturnal, I like to be up in the trees. She was in the middle of the way, so I couldn't close it. My mistake was that I should have gone and looked for a flashlight and see why that door didn't close. But I was so tired, all I wanted to do was want to sleep. So with my hand, I tried to Push it out, whatever it was. Oh no! When I push, when I try to push it out, <laughs> I feel that something by me. You, it's like ah. God, I'm in I hope it's in a scorpion. I hope scorpions in Costa Rica are not deadly poisonous. Then I went and looked for the flashlight, turn it on, say, oh, it's a fire, it's a snake. So oh, maybe not poisonous. I check it out. Yes, eyelash viper. Oh <laughs> no! Hold it, hold it. One of the um, worst. So I check it out three times and say, yes, it's a poisonous snake. 
I wake up my wife, clear, clear, wake up. Oh, what's wrong? Clear, wake up. I've been beaten by a pit viper. What? I had my own antivenom. I was trained for that. I knew I had very high chances to have this kind of accident because my, my job was dangerous. I was climbing up trees. I, was, I went to the woods for five or eight hours sometimes by myself. Sometimes I got lost being by myself. So I knew this, this could happen to me. So I was trained correctly. That pretty much saved my life because when I was beaten, my wife took me out. She got some money, the IDs. We walked out of our house and went to the power ranger station where they have electricity. Then I prepared a little bit of the antivenom to test, to test me, to check me out. Prepared, put a couple of drops in my eyes. My eyes turned red. A sign that you might be allergic, allergic to the antivenom. So the manager told me, gave me a really good advice. He said, if I were you, I would still, I wouldn't put it, I wouldn't put the shots. I'll wait for the doctor to take the decision. Something that he did. When I got to the hospital, like eight hours later. Eight hours. Eight hours later. Five hours by boat, plus an hour in the ambulance. And, and then they put me the same antivenom through my bed. I was fine. I have some secondary effects one week later. So we, we left it together to give birth. And uh, when our daughter, she was, uh, I have two kids. She was, the first one was a, a girl. Now she's 25 years old. Uh, when, the, she, when she was born, eight, eight, eight days later, we came back to Tortuga. With that eight days bit. later? Yeah. So we were naive, we were, we were naive. Bitten we by a pit viper. And what made you come back? Why, why did you stay? Well, for us, this, it was our life, our passion. Uh, uh, this is where we want to be. Uh, in fact, we had never been parents before. We didn't know how dangerous things can be uh, for a, a baby. baby in Tortuguero. <laughs> that little baby, a few months later, when my wife was putting the, the diapers, in those days we have cloth, cloth diapers. Mm. She was putting the cloth diaper and the baby kept crying and crying and crying. And check it out, there was a scorpion that stung her three times. <laughs> oh, no, poor no poisonous, baby. No poisonous, uh, but some side effects. The point is that when that girl started to give her first steps, when she was about one year old, we decided that where we were living was not safe enough for a little girl to start giving her first steps. Uh, not only snakes, but also the days there was uh, there was a large number of wild peccaries, the uh, white lip peccaries, that came out of the jungle. They moved in really big groups, more than a hundred, and they can easily take care of you. When you get in a rainforest like that, you are more afraid of uh, wild peccaries than for the jaguar. We are not afraid of the jaguar. We are afraid of wild peccaries. Because you are surrounded by them and they get frightened, they can really take care of you. Anyway, our house was surrounded by the wild peccaries for a week. And there were more than a hundred of them. So we decided that it was not too wild for a little girl to start giving her first step. So we left Tortuguero. We left for, for 20 years to raise that girl out of Tortuguero on the countryside where my parents had we're growing coffee, we build a new house in that same property, and we raised those, uh, that girl and our boy that was born later. But before we left, my wife and me, we were very afraid of the development of tortilla. We have seen how things started to change very quickly. So we created an, an, an environmental organization. I had met before that a college professor from from the United States, a professor from zoology, and he fell in love with Tortuguero and said, Rafa, you and me, we should do something for Tortuguero. Let's do it. So I created a Costa Rica Environmental Organization, and he created another one in, in the United States. Uh, that's called the Oxford Society in Ohio, Mr. Donald Kaufman. And uh, we're, we're friends, and we have a sister organization. I, I wrote the proposals, and he tried to raise funds. 
uh, one of the things that we're very concerned that the village of Tortuguero was expanding toward this size. The national park of Tortuguero only has one trail. It's the one that goes from the main office to the beach and then turns south. Really good trail. And we didn't want that trail to get spoiled. The little town was expanding. Little by little, there were more houses being built on this direction. So it was a matter of time that the houses were going to be built right next to the trail. And then dogs, radio, television, sounds will spoil the mm. nature trail. So we, uh, he tried, he raised some money. I wrote proposals, and we we purchased an area. We donate pretty much. My wife and me, we donate that piece of land. We, what we did, uh, we look for ways to create what we call a buffer zone uh, to stop the town from getting to the to the boundaries of the national park. You know, to make the story short, we donate. Um, something close to 7,000 square meters, that's like almost like a hectare, to this organization. We, my partner raised $25,000 and built them a, a fuel station. That was named after him and me, very nice. They named, they named it uh, uh, Station Kaufman Robles, and they have a station, they, they, they coordinate the volunteer work, and they're doing environmental education, and uh, we saved that trail. So we did that, we did other things. We did, um, uh, we trained guides. Uh, we did the very first bird count for Tortuguero. The very first official bird count for the year 2013. And uh, we brought experts from Costa Rica and uh, for 24 hours. And the, so we did a little thing like that. Uh, looking forward to preserve the Tortuguero that we fall in love. I understand education has played quite an important role in furthering the sustainability and conservation efforts in Tortuguero. Could you expand on that a little bit more and also how you are involved in education here? Yes, um, some of the most important um, proposals that we did was focusing on that. Not only, which I believe that education is the key to, to understand and preserve. Education is so important that uh, people at the beginning to the, with, the, with the trash. Just to give you an example how if you are not educated, you don't understand what's happening. When we got here, there were no plastics and people were getting rid of their trash organic by dumping it on the rainforest. But when they start having plastics and bottles and stuff like that, they keep with the same practice because they thought that that was going to be uh, disintegrated the same way. We have to educate them that that would not work for the glass and uh, for the plastic. Uh, here there are several important uh, institutions. One of them is the one that started the sea turtles. They already have started uh, educational program. There have been members here of the Peace Corp, also focusing a lot in environmental education, and we kept we kept with that with that line. Uh, some of the proposals that uh, were accepted and our partner was able to find the, the funds were to um, train guides, work with the kids in school, take them out to the trails, give them um, a PowerPoint and different presentations take them to see the turtles. You won't believe this, some of the kids born and raised in Tortuguero, they have never been in the waterways. They have never been a boat with the visitor. They, they saw the, the visitor will rent a canoe uh, with a guy and they took off and they didn't know exactly what it was all about. I said, do you want to be a tourist? Yeah, be my tourist. And I'm going <laughs> to do, I'm going to be your guide. I'm going to, I'm going to do the tour for you. So they understand the people are coming here not to hunt, not to kill, just to enjoy the wildlife, have memories, take pictures and then uh, go back yeah. to where place where they came from. So Rafa, that, that's a very interesting point because you're talking about merging education and 
the natural asset that you have here, the wildlife. And I want to ask you how important the tourism, ecotourism, is for sustaining the community here. Really good question. When we got here in 1987, there was only one lodge with 12 rooms. It was a fishing lodge. It's interesting because in those days, we have three towns very, very similar to each other. To the north, we have Barrio Colorado. Here, we have Tortuguero. And to the south, we have Paris Mira. All three, they look similar. All three have waterways. All three started to focus on sport fishing, especially tarpon. Tarpon is a fantastic fish. Uh, it can fight for one or two, even three hours. It's one of the few places in the world they can almost have can have tarpon almost all year round. So all three little uh, towns they're focusing on sport fishing. So there are fishing lodges, fishing guides. Everything was into fishing. Tortuguero decided to switch for ecotourism. We'll not focus on sport fishing. We're gonna focus on wildlife observation, and they they improve the lodge and make it more for wildlife observation. And the, the next future lodges, they're all focusing on wildlife observation. And the guys, everything was for more wildlife observation. And look at that. After all these years, Tortuguero doing good. People from those other towns, from Colorado, from Paramina, the economy is broken because of the over, they didn't manage their resources correctly. And now they're, coming, they're moving to Tortuguero looking for jobs. So we took the right decision on the right moment. For some reason, some of the local leaders decided that Forget about sport fishing, ecotourism. And we took that, that adventure. When the, when the fair visitors started to come here, there was a serious negative impact happening at the beach. Probably by now you are aware that this is the most, or the last important nesting ground in the whole Americas, North, Central, and South America, for the green sea turtle. There used to be four other places like Tortuguero 400 years ago, but, but they, all, they are all spoiled by now. Overdevelopment, the EDA, the Tortuguero is the last remaining important nesting ground. That is the responsibility that Costa Ricans and the Costa Rican National Park has on his shoulders. The world, the eyes of the world are checking out to see we're doing things correctly. We cannot spoil that fish. And it's right here, isn't it? It's is right there. Now we are on the leatherback season, but the numbers of leatherbacks are small. But July 1st is the season is open for the green sea turtle, and there will be a large number of people coming to see the green sea turtle. But when the first visitors came here, Nobody was giving them any guideline how to go and look for the turtle, mm. which they come out at night. So there was a very negative impact. Very nice educated travelers. They didn't know that with a the flashlight, they were scaring many turtles. Mm. And before those turtles would turn around and go back to the ocean, many of them would drop the eggs at the base before they head back. And I saw people crying. Very nice people dreaming to come to Tortuguero, making the earnings for years, to come to this uh, paradise and see the turtle have dropped the eggs on the base because it was scared, making them cry. So that sad experience encouraged the researchers of the sea turtle and they hired me. This is one of the things that makes me more proud. They hired me to be the middleman between the, the researchers and the locals because of my background. And they hired me to organize the first um, turtle walks. They hired me to organize the activity. So I did research. I did how this is done in other countries, which, what kind of a guidelines. And uh, so I created a guideline, created some regulations. They were approved by the National Park. They said, perfect. They were approved by the researchers. The president of Costa Rica in those days, he signed as a new law. And since that moment on, everybody started to work with those guidelines, which pretty much are, you have to guide, you have to have uh, really good guys trained by, by the National Park and the researchers. 
the group size cannot exceed 10 people per guide. There's a schedule. You walk at night with a, without a flashlight, and you only use a red light only on certain moments of the process. Uh, no pictures, no flashes. And uh, from that moment on, even these researchers, they have seen that now there are more sea turtle laying eggs now than before. That brings me to your question. See, see the ecotourism, nature lovers, coming here to, to witness that process is really amazing. These turtles have been coming for thousands of years, enjoying a really wild beach. You might have, you might have an encounter with a jaguar, jaguars are there, and seeing the turtles coming out, they're coming from far away. Some of these turtles have been traveling two months. They have wow, to come here. Two months. They want to come in for the north, Yucatan, and Caribbean. They want to come in for the south, like Venezuela. And they come here to lay their eggs, and they don't go back to the place where they came from. To witness that, with somebody that is well-trained, and know exactly how to approach you, uh, I've seen people crying of joy. That's important because now we can bring income to the people. We are more than a hundred local guys, well-trained, and the park rangers always keep an eye that everything is running nice and smooth. By the turtle season, bring a, a good earnings and saving for the local people. After turtle season, you can see they can buy a new refrigerator, or they can make one new room for their house and invest in their little property. The money they make help for the conservation because they, they have make them more to understand that the resource is important. And the people that come here, they have somebody that can help them to have a very nice experience. In a sustainable way, In right? In a sustainable way, and research are very happy because that's what they can do there. They can, keep, they can keep on with the research without the turtle being disturbed. It's, it's a winning, everybody wins. Everybody wins. Everybody wins. They have been improved. That was the first experience for Costa Rica. And uh, after you have proved that working that well, I've been proved to other places of Costa Rica, Caribbean and Pacific side. I want to actually um, talk a little bit more about tourism and understand from what, what is your definition of ecotourism? Because <laughs> it seems to be a widely used term. Absolutely. And now we're very concerned that tourists have been changing. What is ecotourism? It's, it's, uh, ecotourism for me is the kind of a tour or visit or experience you offer somebody from the country or outsider. Uh, for nature, respecting the culture, respecting the nature, and coming here to enjoy it, to understand it, and leaving the place exactly or better as you found it. You don't, you are not taking things out of the place. You have respect for the local culture, and you try to hire the people that are trying to do something with the community. That's the ecotourism. You are supporting that community. In our case, for Tortuguero, a real ecotourism would be somebody that will come here, I will hire a guy that has commitment with the environment. It doesn't go for the cheapest one, because I'm going to do it for half of the price, do a little bit of research, take his time, try to hire the one that fits better with his budget, but somebody that has commitment, somebody that says, I'm going to hire you. And I know with the money that, that, I, that you are making, you're going to raise your family, you have commitments, and you're going to keep working to make that place better. I'm not giving it to the one that's gonna go for a party night long and the next day is gonna look for more money to keep on with the party. We were talking up there, Rafa, before we hit record, and you mentioned that actually at the moment the amount of visitors that Tortuguero can handle are only so much, and inviting more people to come would put uh, undue pressure on the, the sewerage system and the water system, and, and so you, you also have to control the numbers of visitors, is that correct? I made my living from tourism. But also my background is biology. The biologists at the National Park want to present this for the for the needs and future generations. The tourism 
wants to keep opening new trails. Because they say, I have more people, I need more boats. I need more hotels. I may not carry because I have more and more visitors. I have to deal with that. Definitely, I prefer to make less money. I want to preserve it. I'm a nature lover. The National Park system of Costa Rica is very serious. I really have a lot of respect for them. For the Tortuga National Park, they have a management plan. The commitment of the National Park is to preserve it for this and for future generations. That's the commitment. They did, they are, the National Park of Costa Rica, they were not created for the tourist industry to make money. No. In fact, when the National Park were created, there were no visitors coming to Costa Rica. Tourists started to come to Costa Rica not until the president of Costa Rica of those days, Mr. Oscar Arias, he won the Nobel Peace Prize Award wow. in the year 1986. Thanks to all the hip, uh, commitment and lobby work to stop the war happening in Nicaragua between the Contras and Sandinistas, which was getting out of control. Thanks to that, uh, they, gave, they gave him this award. After he, he got that award, people started to read more about Costa Rica and say, oh, a country with no army. They abolished the army. It's a country of farmers. More than 25% of the country had national parks. That would be an interesting place to visit it. And it was, we start seeing visitors coming to Costa Rica. But it was in 1986. The National Park in Costa Rica were created in the 1970s, before we didn't have visitors. So we were created by a leader that we have in Costa Rica that really believed that we need to preserve the nesting ground for the turtle, the habitat for the, for the macaws, a place for the jaguar. So, Tortuga National Park is only open for us, 1% of it. Only 1% of all the National Park Tortuguero is available for the ecotourism. It's only 1%. 99% is completely Close. That great. just shows how serious yeah. Costa Rica is in 1%. preserving. That's, That's amazing. A, that is amazing. Giving a lot of pressure. There are some hotels here. We want to make a night tour and go see the Jaguars. There's a population of Jaguar nearby. And we're gonna ask, we're gonna our our visitor, we're gonna pay two hundred dollars, and then we're gonna give uh, twenty dollars for that to for for the town to solve their problem. That's our party. You no, know, we don't care. We want to keep that Jaguar happy there. We don't want nobody to to disturb them. So only 1% is open. And also, that 1% also have regulations. You cannot, they have set a number of boats that can be in a waterway at one time when they, when they reach that number. So waterways can only allow 13 boats. But it's not easy because uh, the tourist industry, they keep pushing to National Park to open it up, to open more rivers, to allow more people, to allow more boats. And I said, I'm, I'm sorry, we can't. You have to deal with, with that. Uh, we have reached a number, and this is this is important. This is kind of fun. This is when gets, things get a little bit hard. How many more people can come to Tortuga? together? Yeah, it's I visited Galapagos once uh, with National Geographic. Uh, a fantastic place, but it's expensive. And uh, there, there are different approaches. How we can deal with uh, more people coming to Tortuga together to see the last uh, nesting ground for the sea turtles? So we make it more expensive? So only people can afford to come, mm. which would be very sad because there are people they can afford, they cannot come in. Or they should make reservations really ahead of time. I know for the Arctic, at least for National Geographic, the company I used to work for, people are listed two years before on a, on a, on a, on a list. Uh, they, they make a list and say, I want to I book for the Arctic tour, okay? It's going to be in two years. Two years. And they yeah. wait. I mean, we have to look for ways for people to realize that it's a unique place. Mm. I don't think that making it more expensive will work. 
I think that maybe a combination of making reservation ahead of time. Uh, we, we, are, we have not found the solution, but that's a challenge that we have, absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I uh, hope we have the wisdom or be wise enough to take the right decisions. What do you think it is that's made Costa Rica One so forward-thinking? There's something important that Costa Rica has done correctly. I've been traveling many other countries and I live away of Costa Rica for many years. The Minister of Education has succeeded making the Costa Rican senior school fall in love with the national parks. That's been the key, the key, uh, uh, the most important thing that the government of Costa Rica has done. I mean, the Costa Ricans in school, children, fall in love with the national park. That connection with nature. Connection with nature. So they know, even though they can be included in class, maybe they are not being tortuguero, but I say, tortuguero, turtles. Ah, oh, very good. Corcovo, jaguars. Really? Carara, Escala Macons, Monteverde, uh, Resplendent Quetzal. You know that many people don't understand. Do you know how much we pay to go to a national park? Are, are you aware of the entrance fee? Costa Ricans, we pay for Tortuguero, we pay $2. Yeah, amazing. Why? That's the reason. One is that part we, with our with our taxes, because the national park they don't make enough money to keep that running. I mean, the entrance fee that we all, we all pay only cover 50% of the budget. Where come from the other 50% from the taxes that he and me and, and me we pay? So in a way, we already are paying for the national park. So, they have, but in, for me, the main reason why they only charge a thousand colons, or be two dollars instead of 15 is that they want all the Costa Ricans to travel to National Park. They take your time, take your weekend, instead of going just to, for a for this activity, go to a National Park, fall in love with it. So you can, you have four kids, well, 4,000 colons, that's $4. So that fee helps the Costa Ricans to visit National Park. So going back to the question, I don't have a real answer, but I think that's something that has helped us a lot that the Costa Ricans, we understand and we love a national park and we fight for them. At this moment, there's a project of developers that build, they build a road. There's a road that's going to be coming out right across the Tortuguero Lagoon. It's, it already has been built. Goes across the national park. It's an illegal road. They have been sued by the national park and, and by and by environmental organization. But I keep pushing. We have been dealing with that for many years. But, and we're fighting that. That, could, that will be spoiled the whole place. So we have a committee, and we're fighting that road, people from Tortuguero. And one of the first things that we did, we, we opened uh, an account in Facebook, and we named it Unidos por el PNT. He had the address, so we can keep track of that. First thing that we did, we start passing advertisements. We have the street, they wanna build a road against uh, the National Park, against our will, and we're against it. Please, if you, are, if you don't agree with, with the road, please sign here on the internet. In two weeks, we collected 25,000 signatures. Two and only weeks. 22 signatures saying, yes, we want the road. 22 against 25,000 signatures in two weeks. People that have never been in Tortuguero, but they know that Tortuguero. That's to keep on with it. They know that it's a fragile ecosystem, it's an island, it's the Mecca for nature lovers, and a road will spoil it and will destroy it. That's uh -huh. a good example how the Costa Rica have fallen in love with the national parks. Mm. They, they, they fight for them. We've been very fortunate to travel around with the Arapopo team for the last few days and we've been able to go to the Osa Peninsula and as well as parks that are close to, to San Jose and we've seen some amazing things. 
And we've just arrived here in the last few hours. What what is it that people can see here in Tortuguero? What is the highlights? Well, some of the highlights. highlights. There are different seasons. At this moment, the highlight both and this worth all year round. The waterways. And I'll tell you a nice little, a short little story. When I left Tortuguero to raise my family out, in those days, the kids they were dreaming to have a, an outboard engine and take the visitors, the few, very few visitors, to see the waterways in the boat. We see in the city people have a motorcycle or a car. They want to have an outboard engine, very nice little boat to take them out. I came back 20 years later, and now they, they're using canoes. Isn't that beautiful? The highlight of Tortuguero all year round is to go to look for the wildlife and the little waterways in a canoe. But oh. they use boats and a strong outboard engine because they have 18, 20 people to take at one time. Here we are more environmental friendly. We take four or six people in our canoe. When I feel like I need to relax, I take my canoe and I go paddling a bit and just... When I come back for one of those three or four hours canoe trips, I'm a new person. Recharge my battery. Recharge your battery. It's amazing. Like You're yeah. rich. Being quietly with the, with the animal this close. They are not frightened. They, are, they didn't hear you approaching. And you stay still and you see the otter coming out. Oh, amazing. And you can hear and see. And that definitely is something that gives... That's what made Tortuguero probably so popular among nature lovers. The experience being so close to nature without disturbing it. And the second highlight is the sea turtle season from July to October, because uh, it's easy to see the turtles. You have to follow the regulations and the guidelines, but that last season, well, two years ago, there were 27,000 females coming ashore. Beach is 23 kilometers long, but we're only allowed to be at the beach in five kilometers, the first five, and we have stations. So part of the regulations is that you go at five o'clock, all the guys that were taking people to see the sea turtle, part of the new regulations, we meet at the National Park and say, okay, where you want to go? Well, I'm going to section three, okay, you go to section four. We have a number of people going to different sections to minimize people. Before we end, Rafak, where can people find you, learn more about what you're doing, get more information? Do you have a Facebook page, a website, yes. Instagram account? Yes. First of all, if you are planning to come to Tortuguero, we have an official web page. was a fantastic gift that the Peace Corps gave us several years ago. And now they left, but it's a local committee that is giving a follow-up. You want to come to Tortuguero, you want to visit uh, tortuguerovillage.com. Tortuguerovillage.com. And then you're going to find uh, different activities that can be done and how it can be done different hostels where you can stay, uh, different guides. This one speaks German, this one speaks French, this is only Spanish. Uh, and uh, and schedule, that's the best way to know more about how to get to Tortuguero, where you can take the public transportation boat, what about the, the, the motor coach and all that. And if you want to know more about me, visit our webpage, which is called Casa Secropia. It's the name of our business. We are named, Casa means house. We are open to to house and Cecropia is the tree that we're seeing here. This tree, that botanical name is Cecropia, is a strong connection with the local culture of the indigenous people, it's a medicinal plant, and with ecology. It has a symbiotic relationships with ants. So the tree and the ants coexist and they get benefit. So we have chosen, my wife and me, as our, as our, the name of our company. For anybody watching or listening, if you want a truly eco-tourism experience, Joy and I 
so far think this place is just amazing. Amazing. Tortuguero yeah. is really an example of uh, the most sustainable holiday you can have in the world, I guess. Something special. Very, Definitely. very special. We, we're trying to go beyond the tour. We want to provide experiences. Just quickly, one thing we didn't touch on was what your business actually does. I just retired for being a freelance natural guide. After 30 years traveling, not only Costa Rica, but also all over Central America, always being away from the family. I came back with my wife. We always kept this piece of property for more than 30 years. So we came back, we improved the, the gardens, we built our little house, and we live here. We have a little cabin that we rent through Airbnb. So what do we do for a living? Um, we open a chocolate tour. The chocolate tour that we do, is very much focus on the Costa Rican way to do chocolate, uh, the Caribbean way of Costa Rica. And, uh, and we talk a lot about the history of Costa Rica before the Europeans arrived, pre-Spanish days, colonial days, and modern days. So after this experience, not only people make their own chocolate, it's a two-hour experience, uh, and they eat all the chocolate they want, yeah. but also they'll know more about the history of chocolate and the Costa Rican history involved with that. We have yeah. a lot of stories about pirates and all that kind of things. So, uh, uh, so that's uh, what we do, chocolate tour. Very that's cool. excellent, that sounds it. great. I love the, the combination of chocolate and wildlife and green Perfect. turtles. You can ask for anything more, really. I'm really happy in heaven with my wife, an amazing person. Life is good. Life yeah. is Life good. Is good. A slice of paradise for sure. Thank you so much, Rafa. My pleasure. Truly appreciate Thank the conversation. Thank you for visiting me. For you all, we wish you the best. We find it pretty exciting when education and inspiration come together to protect our wild places. And this is a remarkable example. If you're a wildlife lover and you're looking for your next adventure, consider visiting this extraordinary place. We visited with the passionate guides from the Oropopo Experience, who can help connect you with the right people in Tortuguero and pull together a broader itinerary for visiting Costa Rica as well. This is not a sponsored post, we just enjoyed hanging out with these guys and wanted to give them a shout out. We'll pop the links to the Oropopo Experience in our show notes and as always, we'd love to hear what you think of the episode and if you have an inspirational story to tell. We'd also love it if you would leave us a sneaky little review, it all helps to get these stories spread further afield. Thank you for listening and we'll see you next time.